Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people in the labor movement to the Madison area and surrounding communities. I'm Jason Pash, a member of Madison Teachers Incorporated. Your support in any amount helps make Labor Radio and all the great programming on WORT possible. Hi, I'm Ann Habel, a retired member of AFSCME Local 171. This week, we share an update on the smart local 565 strike in Sun Prairie, learn about the struggle for a contract for Red Cross workers, check in on negotiations at CUNA Mutual, find out the latest on an investigation into a deadly workplace explosion from 2017, get updates on union actions across the state and the country, and much more. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of WORG and Labor Radio. Smart Local 565 is on strike against Tractee Systems. Greg Jabowski of Labor Radio reports from the picket line in Sun Prairie. Last week, Labor Radio reported that Tracti Systems was failing to negotiate with its unionized workforce of its Sun Prairie production facilities. By this week, it was official, and on Monday, workers of the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers, or SMART, Local 565, were walking the picket line on strike in Sun Prairie. Jesse Beal, business manager for Local 565, says that Tracti management showed no interest in negotiating with his union. These guys basically took what was good for the company and gave it to us and made us go vote on it. These workers here turned it down almost unanimously and they struck almost unanimously. Around 30 to 40 workers were there walking the line on Monday afternoon. Labor Radio asked Beal how Tracti seemed to be continuing production. My understanding is that they are attempting to replace the workers. They're also having management come off the floor and trying to work the machines. We're getting some inside information that it's kind of a mess in there right now. Skylar Lucas, a third shift door assistant lead and a member of the 565 negotiating team, described the frustrating management stance. Pretty much when we went to the table, they just told us that they weren't interested in anything that we uh, brought to the table. We went back and forth for two weeks, took an extensive break, came back to it, and they didn't move. Everything that we brought, they said that it wasn't a counter. Lucas described the key sticking point, a management attempt to impose language that would require mandatory overtime at Tracti's will. So the people didn't agree to mandatory overtime, working six days, 12 hours. They said that they weren't going to do that anyways, but there's a reason why they put it in the, the language. For the people that work here, they understand that that's what their objective is, and that's what we're out here for. Was that new language or...? That's um, new language, yeah. Six days a week, 12 hours a day they can call you in for? Yep, they can do that if they would like to. The Tracti management stance has been so dismissive that Beal is afraid that its goal is not ultimately a contract with the union. I believe that, I truly believe that this is an attempt to bust up the union. Founded as a family company in 1901, with its distinctive manufactured all-metal outbuildings that flourished after World War II still dotting the Madison area landscape, technically, Tracti is owned by its workers through an employee stock ownership plan, or ESOP. But how much power this gives workers is less than clear. According to Smart Local 565's Jesse Beal, the worker owners now get one trustee representative on the company's board of directors, and Beal is unaware of any contact 
between the trustee and the workforce. But whatever the ultimate financial plans of Tracti corporate management, smart union workers will continue to walk the picket line with labor and community support welcome. Here is smart organizer Kurt Butke telling what he saw on Monday and what strike supporters can do if they so wish. It's been pretty good so far. Obviously, it's our first day. We have had some other locals show up. We had Ask Me, Scuffle, Kevin was here. First and second shift, we will start at 7 o'clock in the morning. Our members will be here every four hours till 11 o'clock that evening. So it'll be 7 in the morning till 11 p.m. We should have somebody here. If uh, people want to come and help pick it, we will have some signs available, but they're free to walk with us and, and hang out, be respectful, and uh, we'd love to have anybody that would be willing to participate. That was Kurt Butke of SMART, Local 565. According to Jesse Beal, speaking today to Labor Radio, there has been no attempt by management to negotiate since Monday, and the strike continues. The picket line is located at Tracti's production facility on Wilburn Road in Sun Prairie. A strike-breaking security firm that refused to identify itself to this reporter patrols the company parking lot, but there is street parking on Corporate Center Road just past the facility's entrance. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jaboski. Members of the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, Local 1205 and 1558, have been trying to negotiate with the American Red Cross since well before their contract expired last September. The talks cover three to 400 workers in Wisconsin and northern Iowa. Labor Radio's Ellen LaLuzerne has the story. Hiwaki Local 1558 member Eric Crocker is asking for help, saying, quote, We are understaffed and underpaid for what we do and what the Red Cross expects from us. The Red Cross is avoiding talking to us regarding these issues, unquote. Neil Rainford, field representative with AFSCME Council 32, spoke with me about the details of the stalled contract talks. What's happening with contract talks with the Red Cross? We have been requesting to negotiate the local contracts with the American Red Cross since August of 2021. The Red Cross has consistently either delayed or outright refused to meet in the seven or eight odd months since last August. We've only met once for an initial exchange of proposals in February. Negotiations were scheduled for yesterday and today. Those were canceled just on Monday of this week. So does it look like you might be filing an unfair labor practice against them? So we have filed charges with the National Labor Relations Board initially in November, and those charges did appear to have uh, resulted in the Red Cross agreeing to the meetings that took place in February. Those charges were withdrawn. It appeared we were on the way to productive schedule of negotiations. Does it look like you'll refile charges again then? We're definitely considering whether or not to refile charges. It may depend on how the Red Cross responds to our offer of additional dates to negotiate. It seems like the Red Cross has often engaged in pretty hard bargaining. And does this seem different from other years? In the past, the Red Cross has been more willing, in my experience, to schedule negotiations. Part of the reason for that may have been that they hired independent counsel to represent this region, and it was a local attorney. And that local attorney was generally more willing to meet. The Red Cross decided not to hire any outside counsel to negotiate this year and instead has just been using one of their labor relations directors. Have you boiled down what the key issues are for these talks? Key issues for these discussions are primarily wages. The employees 
saw really fairly significant real wage reductions over the past five years. The uh, inflation that we've seen in the last year has really reduced the real take-home pay of employees. The second important area is scheduling. The Red Cross is consistently scheduling too many donors at given drives for the number of staff they have available. Just a very uh, hectic and stressed environment for the employees trying to perform at those, at those drives. Healthcare is the third important issue, and the Red Cross is proposing a plan that has very high costs and very low benefits. What is the local doing? Are they looking for community support? The local has developed a petition that in a sentence asks the Red Cross to come to the negotiation table and to negotiate fairly with its employees. And we would encourage supporters in the public to go to change.org and find the Red Cross petition and to sign it, asking the Red Cross to come and negotiate fairly with its employees. Well, thank you. That was Neil Rainford, field representative for Ask Me Council 32. I'm Ellen Lalazern for Labor Radio. Office and Professional Workers Local 39 and CUNA Mutual have entered their seventh week of negotiations since the contract at CUNA expired March 31st. Frank Emspach has the report. Negotiations for a new contract between CUNA Mutual and the members of OPEIU continued today, Friday, but the endpoint remains elusive. Labor Radio spoke with Joel Veka, Chief Steward and Bargaining Committee member of the CUNA unit of the OPEIU. We asked him to describe the focus of the union's contract proposals. Our focus has remained the same throughout the last two and a half months. Uh, we've uh, surveyed our members and asked them what their priorities are, uh, and we've been focused on those five priorities throughout the entire uh, bargaining session. Please outline those priorities. Their flexibility around remote work, uh, job security and protections from outsourcing and contracting of work, protecting our retirement plan uh, from freezing, protection of our HMO health care plan, as well as fair compensation that keeps up with inflation. Has CUNA responded positively to the union's concerns? I'll say the initial response that we got from the company was not very good in regards to our priorities, because even though they've made record profits in the last year, their proposals didn't reflect the fact that they've been performing extremely well. The past few weeks, we've started to have some productive discussions with Unimutual Group regarding uh, questions like job security, but I think the ultimate proof will be when we see those conversations represented accurately in uh, legally binding contract language from the company. The union remains hopeful that the negotiations today will yield some written proposals regarding job security. But, as a result of CUNA's unresponsiveness so far, 
The union has determined that it must show CUNA that it has widespread support amongst the membership and the community. That being the case, the union will ramp up its public activities with another informational picket. In terms of next steps, because our employer has not yet moved fast enough regarding the bargaining process, we've decided as a membership to organize a second informational picket outside of the company's main headquarters on 5810 Mineral Point Road. Um, so that picket is going to be on Saturday, May 21st from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. And we invite and encourage any community members who support decent wages and benefits in the Madison community to come and show their support for us. We encourage all of our members to bring their families out to the picket lines and we'll demonstrate to the company, again, just how important all of our priorities in this contract negotiation process are. CUNA workers are rooted in the Madison community, as is CUNA. But over the years, CUNA has reduced its workforce by half, thus hurting the Madison community. The workers at CUNA urge the Madison community to consider this and support the union's efforts to maintain employment at CUNA. Thanks to Joe Vika for this interview. I am Frank M. Speck for Madison Labor Radio. The National Labor Relations Board has found merit in a complaint filed against Amazon by workers at a Staten Island facility that voted to unionize early last month. Here's more about the specifics of the charges leveled by the board from Labor Radio's Sean Hagrup. U.S. Labor Board prosecutors have determined that anti-union meetings held by Amazon in Staten Island, New York, violated federal labor law, according to an agency spokesperson. The National Labor Relations Board Brooklyn Regional Director will issue a complaint if the company doesn't settle, according to the board's communication office. The regional official concluded that the company held illegal mandatory meetings and made illegal threats in those sessions, which was communicated to counsel for the Amazon Labor Union, Seth Goldstein, last Friday. The worker-led Amazon Labor Union decisively won an election to represent employees at an Amazon fulfillment center on Staten Island early last month marking the first time that organized labor has gained a foothold at one of the e-commerce giant's U.S. facilities. During the election cycle, which spanned the earlier part of this year, Amazon held mandatory information sessions, during which managers and consultants made the case that workers should vote to reject the union. The practice is standard operating procedure for the company, which also held the meetings during union campaigns in Alabama and at a second Staten Island warehouse where the ALU lost an election earlier last week. Quote, it's a bit rich for Amazon to complain about interrupting captive audience meetings that are themselves inherently coercive, said ALU attorney Goldstein in an interview. Quote, we hope that Amazon will agree to end this unlawful union busting practice. The NLRB general counsel, Jennifer Abruzzo, issued a memo last month asserting that she would seek to ban such meetings arguing to the labor board's regional chiefs that they constituted an unlawful threat to employees. The Amazon case could offer a vehicle for Abruzzo to get the issue before labor board members in Washington, where President Biden's appointments have swung the balance of power in favor of the Democratic Party. Reporting for Labor Radio, I'm Sean Hagerup. Worker members of UAW Local 180 at the Case New Holland Industrial are in their second week of a strike. Frank Emspack has the report. On May 2nd, members of UAW Local 180 went on strike against the Case New Holland Industrial Company. President Yassin Hamadi of Local 180 describes what the union is seeking. 
we are just looking for a fair agreement. I don't think there's too much to ask for in 2022 with a company that is profitable um, and that has been profitable every year of, of this current agreement. The UAW has helped the company out when they said that they weren't in a healthy financial position. We just want some reciprocation right now. The strike has met with widespread support in the community. We did have a rally here Monday. Uh, we also had Vice President uh, of the UAW, uh, Chuck Browning, was here. Also, the Lieutenant Governor made an appearance. It, it was several, several hundred people uh, here for this rally that we had Monday. In fact, the strike has stimulated organizing other locations. Somebody reached out to us about getting their place of employment organized. You know, it, it, it's spreading. I think uh, people are tired of uh, really being uh, underappreciated. The best employees always go over and above for the, the, the company or the job. And for the most part, they never are uh, compensated or, or treated properly uh, for what they do. In terms of the strike, what are the key issues? Compensation is one thing, but I think the treatment is more important than compensation. The number one issue, I think, with the membership is the overtime. The mandatory Saturday overtime is a, is a key issue. COVID taught us a lot. The pandemic taught us a lot. And I think it really taught a lot of people how important family is. Not having time off to spend with family, I think, is is been something that the membership is strongly, strongly in, 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 uh, in need for. Marty addresses the issue of why workers are on the move now. I, I think, I think that the climate that we're in right now has kind of fueled everything that's going on with people just, just taking the initiative and just coming out and supporting us. No negotiations are scheduled. As a form of pressuring the strikers to end the strike, Case has ceased all insurance payments. In response, the UAW will pay their premiums, thus maintaining the health care insurance. Labor Radio asked what it would take for the company to settle this strike on terms the members would accept. President Mahdi said, I think that it is going to take for the company to be in jeopardy of losing market share against uh, competitors like John Deere and Agco. So think that is going to take input from farmers or dealers to, to basically tell the company, you know, cut the crap and, and get back to the table because you guys are sending us, you know, probably isn't, a, it, I would assume it's not a quality product was being made right now. Thanks to President Yatsin Mahdi of UIW Local 180 for this interview. I am Frank Emsbach from Madison Labor Radio. Next, we'll listen to an update on the ongoing union drive at Starbucks from Labor Radio's Sean Hagrup.
Baristas organizing with Starbucks Workers United continue their steady march on the campaign trail of unionization, despite the best efforts of the company to suppress union support. 257 cafes have declared their intention to hold a vote on whether or not they'll be represented by the Service Employees International Union affiliate since the beginning of the campaign last August. Additionally, three Wisconsin-based Starbucks locations declared their intent to unionize with the United Food and Commercial Workers, the announcement of which took place last month. 66 of the 257 stores with Starbucks Workers United have won their elections as of this afternoon with more filings, elections, and vote counts occurring on a daily basis. Starbucks has responded to the expanding push for unionization with the tried-and-true methods of suppressing union support. Howard Schultz, founder and returning CEO of the company, was captured on video imploring managers to single out workers in the delivery of anti-union messaging. And unfortunately, it is uh, an issue that's going on right now, and we can't ignore it. There is an outside force that is trying to disrupt the future of our company. One of the responsibilities in this changing world that we have right now of a store manager, of a district manager, of an RDO, is to really understand who the people in our stores are, to talk to them specifically about the role and responsibility that we have as a company to them and their families, and to encourage them to really understand what it might mean to vote for a union. The National Labor Relations Board filed a sweeping complaint against Starbucks last week, charging the company with 29 counts of unfair labor practice that encapsulate over 200 alleged violations of the National Labor Relations Act. In another move to seek remedial measures from the company, on Tuesday, the NLRB announced that it would seek injunctive relief for seven Starbucks baristas that were fired from their Memphis cafe earlier this year. While employed, these baristas were also acting as prominent worker leaders within the union effort at their location. The filing alleges that those workers were subject to targeted scrutiny, harassment, and termination after Starbucks learned about the union campaign at their store. The filing, if upheld by a U.S. District Court judge, would coerce the company into rehiring the baristas unconditionally. Reporting for Labor Radio, I'm Sean Hagerup. In 2017, five employees died and 15 were injured after the Didion milling, milling plant exploded. The company has been charged for serious safety violations. Ellen LaLuzerne brings you more info on the charges. According to the Wisconsin State Journal, Didion Milling has been charged with knowingly engaging in years of safety violations, resulting in the deaths of five workers. Investigations showed that the company failed to do required cleanings for at least five years. To cover it up, the company forged documents, falsified records, and backdated logbook entries to make it look like the cleanings were completed, according to allegations in the federal indictment. According to the indictment, the initial explosion spread and caused more explosions due to accumulated dust in several areas of the facilities. One of the explosions happened inside one of the filter collectors that should have been outside. Safety violations seldom warrant a federal indictment, which signals the seriousness of these allegations against Didion. The company has been charged with nine crimes, including fraud, conspiracy, and two counts of willful safety violations causing death. Didion and several leaders in the company have also been charged with conspiracy because they allegedly knew the lack of cleaning created unsafe conditions, but didn't fix it and then lied about it. The indictment is seeking all of the profits Didion made off its conspiracy for willfully violating safety rules, causing employees' deaths. 
Offenders can also face a $10,000 fine and up to six months in prison. For Labor Radio, I'm Ellen Lalazern. Here is Labor Radio reporter Keith Steffen with an important announcement about the annual National Association of Letter Carriers Food Drive. NALC Capital City Merged Branch 507, located in South Central and Southwestern Wisconsin, regrets that after considerable deliberations, they have decided to not participate in the 2022 NALC Food Drive, except for the City of Jefferson. The Letter Carrier Food Drive has been held on the second Saturday in May for many years prior to the pandemic. COVID-19 complications and severe staff shortages are the two main reasons for this decision. They recognize the urgent need that exists in all communities and encourage everyone to donate generously to food pantries in their area. Branch 507 plans to participate in the 2023 food drive to be held on May 13th next year. On May 10th, about 20 railroad workers gathered early Wednesday morning in Stevens Point at an informational picket demonstration protesting worker treatment by Canadian National Railroad. Joe Letizia, a union representative for railroad workers in Stevens Point, said workers have not had a raise or wage increase in the last three years, and there has been no increase in per diem or away-from-home expenses in the last seven years, while many workers are working 500 miles or further from home, paying for gas, hotels, and food. Leticia also said workers have had no sick days, even while working outside in the snow, heat, and a pandemic. Railroad worker Andy Fritcha said he attended the demonstration because he and his co-workers haven't seen a raise since 2019, while the cost of living has skyrocketed. He said Canadian National gives $85 a day per diem that is supposed to cover gas, hotel, and food, but the money doesn't go far. They often have four or five people sharing one hotel room to save money. The lack of paid sick days is also a problem. Fritcha said, if we're sick, we're expected to come into work and we're getting others sick, he said. And that's in the pandemic, too. Letizia said workers have been trying to bargain and negotiate with CN since January 2020, but the company has not given any comprehensive proposal or offered anything fair, he said. Thanks for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Jason Pash. Thanks to editors Frank Imspack and Ellen LaLuzerne, assistant Robin G, reporters Mike Bernard, Greg Jabuski, John Hagerup, Anna Hahn, Scott McCullough, Janine Ramsey, Tony Reeves, Carol Weidel, and damage control specialist Joanne Powers. Thank you as well to web excuse me, thank you as well to website editor JJ Meyer. Special thanks to Keith Steffen, our reader coordinator, and to all our readers and the members of IBEW Local 2304, WORT Staff Collective. And I'm Ann Habel. We'd also like to thank all of the generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Please stay tuned for Dave Watts and the Blues Cruise.